Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm the host, Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And uh, if you've listened to the podcast, you know I've talked to someone from every single state, including Washington, D.C., and yet the fact that I live in the Philadelphia area, it took me a long time to talk to someone from Delaware, which is I could walk there if I had the time. And I, last year uh, during the presidential campaign, during her campaign, I talked to um, Kyle Evans Gay, who won her election last year and is changing things in uh, Delaware. And now I'm excited to talk to my new friend, uh, Marie Pinckney, state senator in Delaware, and I'm really interested because I feel like the politics of Delaware may be a lot different than what they were five, ten years ago. And she's going to tell me a lot about that. And hopefully, if you're listening, we'll tell you why you should be a candidate for office wherever you are as well. Um, I'm also excited because Maria is a social worker. And I think that if we had about a thousand, well, not a thousand, if we had a lot more social workers running things, um, we would be in better shape in this world. So, Marie, thank you for talking to me today. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to get to talk about and brag on my home state. It's a great state. And, uh, you know, you recently won. This was your first election you won last year, right? Correct. Yeah. In 2020, I got the bug and ran um, what was considered a pretty impossible race. I actually ran against the president pro tep of the Senate. Right. Uh, who was a almost 40-year incumbent, um, but we had a really amazing team around us, and not only me, but several other elections were kind of record-breaking in our state last year, and we made some significant changes to our legislature. And, you know, I was thinking about it in, in uh, preparation for this. Last year was your first election winning in, in Delaware, so in about 50 years, you could be president, too. <laughs> Oh, I don't think that one's in the cars for me. <laughs> Just pencil it in 2072. There's <laughs> President Pink. Um, but you want to get, hopefully, where Delaware's not all underwater by then, and there's something to, to celebrate then. Um, but you know, you didn't just up and get a bug, right? You, you, you've probably been uh, politically aware and active in some ways before this, right? What, what, I always ask my guests, like, when did you first become, you know, as you say, politically aware or, you know, care about politics beyond, you know, just, oh, I guess I got to vote? Yeah, so it started with, let me pay a little bit more attention. I, I was 18 when Obama ran for office mm -hmm. and um, I voted. I, I was 18. I voted because that's what I was supposed to do. It was my first election mm -hmm. and I was a black man. So I voted and then he won what felt like an impossible thing to do. And so that that's when I started paying a little bit more attention, but still probably not as much as I should have. Um, but when President Trump won and was in office, that's when I really started paying attention on a federal level, um, trying to understand, like, what is going on here? How did this happen? How is how are we going to be hurt and affected by this? And um, so that's what really got me kind of active, interested, engaged, um, because I was scared. Honestly, I was yeah. scared for at what his election meant. Um, and so I started paying a little bit more attention federally. And then on a state level, I started paying attention, um, honestly, within the last few years. It's been pretty recent, if I'm being honest. And it's because um, you mentioned my background in social work. I work at Christiana Hospital. 
um, which I worked in the medical or uh, the surgical ICU there for a few years. So I work with trauma patients on a regular basis. And I was always having these young black men that were coming in after gunshots um, and as victims of gun violence. And after a while, it started becoming really emotionally heavy and taxing. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling like working with them in the hospital is not enough. Like I need to figure out how to stop them from coming into the hospital. And so I kind of started paying attention to like, you know, how can we use policy to fix this? Um, Because these were kids, like they're, they're so young. It felt like just on a regular basis, they're so young and these lives just cut short incredibly early. And so I started paying attention on the state level Um, following an organization kind of called uh, Moms Demand Action and the work that they were doing. And when I followed their their work, um, I learned a little bit later on about my my opponent and the hand that he played in stopping some some significant gun bills in our state that could have reduced gun violence. Um, And so that was kind of what what made me decide to actually run is when I realized that the person that was representing me stopped what could have saved a lot of the lives that I was seeing in the ICU. And I think people from outside of Delaware who pay attention to politics, uh, including right here in Pennsylvania, we're right next door. Um, they look at Delaware and they're like, oh, that's a democratic state. It's a blue state. And, and really you know, Joe Biden is Delaware in that it is the most moderate democratic state in a lot of ways, right? Like there's, it's, there's good people. I like Delaware a lot, but it's, uh, it's kind of like that is the bellwether of the moderate Democrat in a lot of ways, right? And at least historically, is it, is that how you've seen it? Um, yeah, I definitely think that's, that's accurate. Um, you know, up, up until this last election, honestly, like I, I think there have been some significant pushes forward, but I also think that Democrat can be described in a lot of different ways, mm-hmm. and I think of the state as as being having been pretty moderate historically is is pretty pretty accurate. But I'd like to think that we're making a lot more strides to the left these days. And it seems like not only is Delaware at least typically seen as a place with like moderate, like Chris Coons. I've met him, very nice person, pretty moderate by Democratic standards. Um, Tom Carper, the same. Uh, Joe Biden, obviously, just seems to be in the middle of where the Democratic Party is, wherever it is, if it's shifted left or right. Um, But also, it seems like that's where it was the most moderate Republicans. Like, Mike Castle was a congressman there, and he famously lost to a woman who was, let's just say, a little bit out there. do you feel like, in addition to your energy, bringing it to challenge the Democratic establishment, that maybe the same is happening on the other side, where you know the moderation that may have been there on the right or Republican side either was a facade, it wasn't really that moderate, or like there's no room for moderates there? That's a really interesting question. Um, I, I think I would say that they haven't made much of a movement Mm -hmm. uh, from where they've been on on a Republican side. Um, We've seen some, like this this year, we saw some attempts to follow some Republican trends throughout the country um, on on a scale that I guess they thought they'd be able to move things in this state because we have such a Democratic stronghold. Uh, Like we saw legislators on the Republican side um, enter 
or file a slew of um, voting bills that weren't quite Texas bills, but they were out there and they were unnecessary. Um, and so I, I think we've seen small attempts like that of them trying to follow national Republican trends across the country in ways that they thought they could get a little bit of a, of a leeway um, here in the state. But that I think is probably the furthest that I've seen. I, I, I haven't seen them do much more outside of things on the, on the, on the voting stuff. Um, there is always, there's every year famously we get, um, an abortion bill, um, abortion related bill that gets entered. Um, but that's kind of (laughs) been there and happening for a while now, as far as the legislature goes anyway. Yeah, that seems to, and and sadly enough on the backs of women, it feels like, um, moderate Republican, and no one can see my quotation marks, is a Republican who's Republican and everything else, but they are somewhat pro-choice. And a moderate Democrat is a Democrat who's pretty good on um, labor issues or things like that, but they oppose abort- like expanding abortion access. And it seems like 51% of the population is... Uh, you know, a, a wedge issue when it's, you know, that's our country. Um, I, I guess I don't disagree there um, at all. I, I would have to agree. We definitely see similar. So, um, so with that in mind, like the, the Republicans are doing certain things, and but you came to est- uh, challenge the establishment. Um, and what was that like in terms of when you first started? Did you did you know like what should I do um, to be a candidate? Because you know, I imagine like if I were, when I ran for office, I talked to my local party. They want to help out. Like Democrat hasn't won that seat, but I'm sure it wasn't necessarily the same friendly. Um, introduction as it would be when you're challenging a uh, long-term incumbent. Yeah, so I I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to run. Fortunately, there was outside of the Democratic Party at the time, there were a lot of organizations that were looking to support new candidates. Um, so the first organization that kind of helped me understand what it would take to run a campaign was the Ready to Run program. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they kind of, you know, broke down in, in a six-week course what running a campaign looks like and how to do it. Um, there was also organizations like Network Delaware and the Urban League. Um, Urban Network Delaware helped to also help to formulate like a campaign team and to understand the basics of a campaign. And they kind of provided us support from the beginning to the end of the campaign um, and and kept a good network of support around not only me, but um, several other candidates as well. And then the Urban League created a fellowship called the Gilliam Fellowship. And I was actually a member of the third cohort of that fellowship for about 10 months. And that, that fellowship really helped me to figure out who were some of the key players in the state that I needed to know. Um, how do you make policy? How do you how do you engage in the policy making process? And so, you know, although the support didn't necessarily come from the Democratic Party because I was a challenging um, an incumbent, there were still many many organizations throughout our state that were willing to provide us a lot of that support. Do, uh, as families party, do you feel like? Maybe in a place like Delaware, and I see this in Rhode Island where I talk to Gail Golden, who's a state senator. I see this in Hawaii even when I talk to a representative out there. 
maybe there's some, I hate the word establishment, but some establishment complacency, whereas there is also a ton of energy from people who are just like these different groups that want to see change and they're just biting at the bit to to make find people who will, you know, take some big action that's not happening. Yeah, I think I think what I would say is that things have been away for a while, and I think there's been hesitancy to change that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's kind of always been the idea of protecting incumbents, um, and I, I think that becomes a hard thing to change when you're talking about a, a consistent two party system. Yeah, and so you know that's a that's a daunting thing, right? Like I'm sure it was very intimidating how do you as a human being get over that intimidation because it's intimidating enough to run for office anyway did you have like a lot of support that kind of helped you get over that or were you just ready to go no matter what so i mentioned the network delaware program or um in the, the pro there was an umbrella under that for candidates called the leftward delaware program and and that leftward program um it they like i said they really provided us support and training from the day we decided to run until the general election. Um, and even still now we get some support and encouragement from them. And so there, um, along with myself was representative Medina Wilson, Anton representative, uh, Larry Lambert, representative Eric Morrison and representative Sharia Moore, who were all receiving support from them. And so we were all able to support one another and we have had regular kind of discussions amongst ourselves with how frustrating things can be. Um, what meeting we were at with our incumbent that week that felt intimidating, um, how frustrating it was to be trying to run an election during a, a, a pandemic. Um, we were all kind of able to rely on one another. So I, you know, to your listeners who are thinking about running, I, I would never sugarcoat and pretend that that stuff doesn't happen, that you don't sometimes give up. You don't sometimes or want to give up. You don't sometimes wonder what decision did I make and what am I doing? Um, but having that good support system of people around you and connecting with other candidates or connecting with people who are in the in the same line of work and have that same desire and purpose to make change really does help get through the intimidation and get through the, the doubts that do inevitably come. And I'm sure you did talk, even through a pandemic, you found ways to talk to people one-on-one. You really have to get in there. What, like, I know a lot of people were hesitant to do door knocking, for example, or do big events. How did you get past that to reach voters through a pandemic? Yeah, so I launched my campaign in January. So we had from January to maybe like March of being able to knock doors. Um, and when that ended, we relied really heavily on, on phone banking. We phone bank basically every day. Um, we sent mailers um, several times a month. We sent text messages, emails, um, and, and that was somehow able to work. Then, you know, when things kind of got a little bit more under control, probably closer to like August, September, we did go back on the doors for the last like month or so. Um, but what was amazing is that by the time we got there and got back on those doors towards the end of the primary, we found that we had reached almost everybody through those phone calls, through those mailers, through those text messages. Most people were familiar with the campaign. And so it was really, really helpful to, even though it felt like we weren't making much progress when we were kind of shut in, um, we really found that by the time the we were able to get back on the doors for a little bit, we were. So you did, you defeated the incumbent of four decades. 
So my entire life, uh, your entire life, of course. Um, and so imagine if you're an incumbent that's been there that long, people know you, they, they're willing to put up with certain things, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, not, and I don't mean that in a bad way necessarily, um, but you still won. What was your reception like from voters both talking to them, getting to that elect primary election, then after the fact, where people, you know, did they rally to your side afterwards? Yeah, we, we got a little bit of everything, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, we found that there were, like when we went to civic association meetings or RD meetings, um, the people who were really heavily engaged, um, that tended to be, or uh, I guess what I should say, heavily um, very familiar with my opponent at the time. Um, that tended to be an older crowd, um, and they were really not interested in having someone new in office. Um, they, they were very used to my successor, um, and they were very much used to, um, his office and how things were done under him. And they just really weren't that interested in having someone new come into office. What was actually interesting, um, there was one point in towards maybe like the middle of the campaign where we did kind of like a combined, um, meeting with members from each of the five RDs that are within my Senate district um, for them to vote on who they wanted to nominate between myself and my successor. <laughs> and um, interestingly enough, not a single person on that voted for me. It was so interesting. And it was, you want to talk about intimidation. Mm -hmm. Like I, after that, I felt like, oh, it's over now. It's over. But what we realized is that that's only a very small piece of the uh, amount of people that you actually need to be reaching. Um, that's only a very small portion of, of the group. And so we kept going, we kept knocking and, you know, unfortunately the, the entire neighborhoods don't go to the civic association meetings. And so we were able to talk with people who weren't familiar with, um, or who weren't as tied to that to his office and who were willing to talk with someone new and people who do who did know him and were ready for a change um I didn't really have too many people that said bad things about him but felt like it's time for a change it's time for someone new you, I had a social work background people are very interested in that um we connect well with people we had a platform that was relatable to people and so when we got away from kind of the core constituency that was really used to my successor um they were people were excited to have someone new um and then after the primary um what we found was that even the people that were his base were still and have still been willing um to embrace me to get to know me now that i'm there to support me um those are a lot of the same people that come to the constituent coffees that we hold um and you know as long as they feel like they're still being represented um, and they're still able to reach my office. Um, I haven't found any bad blood from anybody who was used to his, his um, leadership. That That's great. I feel like hopefully that happens a lot. And I've seen that in other primaries from Democrats and Republicans where people kind of coalesce amongst mm -hmm. whoever won. Um, now, one of the reasons I was excited to talk with you is you had a groundbreaking campaign, but it also feels like you've kind of you and others have shifted the ground in Delaware um, and kind of kept awaken people from that complacency. You got you, uh, Kyle Evans Gay, who I was really excited to talk with, uh, Sarah McBride, who made history as well, and others who I don't know as well. But it also seems like you guys are friends and get along with each other. Um, have you found that 
not just running for office, but being in office, especially in a smaller place like Delaware, where you have more intimate relationships and maybe, you know, in in New Hampshire, where there's 7,000 elected people. Um, <laughs> do you feel like you can have fun and and that's a good thing to get out of it to run for office? <laughs> we definitely have fun. <laughs> we have a lot of fun. Um, Senator Gay and Senator McBride and I actually all, our desks are all near one another on the Senate floor and we are constantly just having fun. Um, we are, we are actual friends. We work together. We have fun together. We tackle the same issues together. Um, and that's, I think, been one of the most exciting things about this election is that we came in as a core of people who really, really wanted to make change and we all have similar values and we've found that we've been able to do that together. It's interesting, actually. Um, we rarely disagree, so Senator McBride and I are regularly, we had like one disagreement on a policy issue this year and we actually like took note in the middle of caucus, like, did we just disagree? That never happened. <laughs> Um, and, you know, we we genuinely like one another and not even just in the Senate, too. You know, when we go when when I talk about my colleagues that um, when their elections in the House, like we're all really regularly able to meet together um, right now. We're actually all of us working together about, around some concerns about the recent decision by the Supreme Court to overturn the eviction moratorium. And we've been trying to figure out, like, how is the state? Do we work on that? How do we what can we do about that? Um, and so it it. It, there are definitely um, some really amazing friendships that came out of our, our decisions to run. And although they were all made separately, um, we all did it with the desire, with the same desire. And so we do just genuinely like one another and have a good time together. I think that's an important thing for any level of office, because if you're running, it's a commitment. You know, you can't just like get up. You, well, you shouldn't just get up and leave. If after you win, if it's not like a good job and you want to like the people you're with because it's less intimidating. Um, but in addition to those new people, uh, you remind me uh, and your campaign remind me of Jasmine Crockett, state representative from Texas, who I recently talked with. Um, she um, has been very big on the terrible voting things happening uh, from the Republicans in Texas. Um, they, they led the walk out there. But she won a primary against an not against the Democratic supported um, candidate, and she said that a lot of the people who'd been in office there for a while actually appreciated that she kind of lit a fire under people that you know they agreed with her, but people didn't have the energy to do things like a walkout and things like that. Um, have you found, and I don't need any names, but you can if you want, but like, have you found that a little bit that people are like, oh, great, we're, we're really happy to have this new energy that's kind of, you know, backing us up because it wasn't there before? Yeah, 100%. Um, interestingly enough, you know, like I mentioned that my successor was the president pro tip of the Senate. So as a result of the election that I, that, um, I ran, that meant that we had a new leadership vote. Um, and so we have an entirely new, um, leadership team now who are just, they're just amazing individuals and they have a lot of the same core values and beliefs that we have, um, as newcomers. And so there really is just a breath of fresh air in the Delaware Senate now. And it's just, it, it really is amazing to see, um, and so one of the things that I think has been most amazing is that our our leadership trusts us, even as freshman legislators, like, you know, you'll hear a lot of times that, um, and not just Delaware, like anywhere, you'll hear that freshman legislators 
um, you know, really don't get to take on big things. They kind of go through this like hand holding process. Um, in Delaware, it was like a famous thing that like every legislator's first bill is like a license plate bill or some kind of like joke bill that is, isn't that serious, but that didn't happen with us. Like we all got to take on really serious issues for our first bills because our leadership team just supports us in that way. Um, and they're just, they're happy to have and excited to have like new energy from all of us. And interestingly enough, we've even heard it from some of our Republican colleagues who told us that even though we don't really agree on anything ever, it's nice to have just new energy and, and even again, like being able to debate one another in a way that is of substance and not just attacking one another on character, um, but substance, substantive conversation um, across the aisle about these issues. And so I, I think that that has really, really been probably one of the brightest spots is the welcoming that we've gotten from all of our colleagues. That's really good to hear. And I hope that people who listen will feel like that's an incentive to run, that you'll be welcomed um, in that manner, especially if that's why you're doing it. Um, Again, the other thing I said at the beginning of this is I'm excited that you're a social worker in office. I, I, lo- I work with social workers in my regular job and know people from politics and otherwise. And that they're in state office, uh, it feels like a lot of people who are in office are there because they have a kind of job that allows them to do it. Like they're a lawyer, a real estate agent. Uh, so there might not be a lot of people with that background. What does a social someone with a social work type background how do you think that helps um, in a government office? Yeah, um, I I think twenty eighteen, um, Carrie Evelyn Harris ran for Congress, mm-hmm. and um, she, you know, met with a lot of us when we were running um, to just kind of get to know us. And one of the things that she said to me that has stuck with me was the term and the idea of being people centered. Um, I, and that term, um, I think really encompasses the, the question that you're asking, right? Like being a social worker really truly does mean that I'm people centered. The way that I view policy and the way that I think policy should work is centered around people and their everyday lives. Um, you know, if you look at the, the committees that I serve on, um, I am the chair of corrections and public safety, I'm on health, I'm on um, energy and environment, agriculture, um, something else that I can't think of. <laughs> okay. you know? um, but I, I, I bring those up to say that I am on committees that really impact people's everyday lives. And, you know, it's, it's not, obviously it's not finance, it's not bond, but I think that I am in a unique position to think about those patients who I used to see in the ICU who were victims of gun violence, to think about those patients who I used to see in the ICU that were pedestrian struck by cars and recognize that Delaware has one of the highest pedestrian struck uh, ratios in the, in the nation. Um, when we talk about like ratio um, and all of those patients and their stories and their battles with insurance companies, Mm -hmm. their battle with state agencies to get Medicaid, um, those stories and experiences come to the Senate floor with me on a regular basis. And so if you, if you ever, you know, listen to me debate, my debates are always, always, always based on the experiences that people have. And that's because of my background as a social worker and recognizing that people's environments and the structures and systems around them oftentimes significantly impact their lives, even sometimes when they don't realize it. Yeah. And I actually heard a lot of that language from another one of your colleagues in Delaware, uh, Representative Deborah Heffernan. I met her 
years ago and she had all this stuff in her office about person first language and was explaining it to people I was with. And I, I've carried that with me since I, um, since I met with her, uh, years ago. Uh, so now that you're there, you, your opponent was there for 40 plus years. You've been there for less than 40 weeks, I think. <laughs> uh, you know, what, what do you, for some people, they think, like you said, like if you get elected, you kind of go along for a little bit, get your bearings. Uh, obviously, you and your colleagues that are new, you're not like that. You're trying to take advantage of the time you have. Um, if you have, let's say you're there for a few years or more, what would you deem success for being in office for you? Not just winning an election, but what do you think would be successful for you? Yeah, thank you for asking that question. I mentioned being the chair of public safety and of corrections on public safety. And I believe that success for me will be completely transforming corrections and public safety in our state, mm -hmm. specifically though corrections. I, tr I truly, really truly want to do make significant changes to the, the justice system in our state from from the school to prison pipeline all the way down to the reentry program. I want to significantly cut our numbers of the prison population in our state. I want to eradicate um, the school to prison pipeline and create a, a education or a school to college and employment pipeline. Um, I want to eradicate the idea that people are housed in prisons because they can't pay fines. Um, there's there's so much to do in that space, and I think success at the end of my career will be looking back and being able to say that I, along with organizations like the ACLU, um, our ODS, DOJ, um, and, and other organizations throughout our state that work in these areas, have significantly transformed um, criminal or transformed the justice system all throughout our state in a way that is really really tangible and and really 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 reconnects families to one another. What are some concrete ways like that you think are possible? And do you think that because Delaware is considered a democratic state that maybe some other quote unquote democratic states like Massachusetts or Rhode Island or something like that might take it as a blueprint if you get something good? So what, what are some things you think are achievable to, to make that happen? Yeah, absolutely. So there right now, this one actually isn't my bill, but there's a bill right now filed um, around fines and fees. Mm -hmm. um, transforming the fines and fees process in our state. Um, Senator, uh, one of the senators also did a bill around um, clean slate, so it makes automatic um, expunge, it's an automatic expungement process. Um, I think we should be looking at how can we serve people better when it comes to um, their, their entry into the justice system. So instead of arresting people because of any type of substance use, people who have substance abuse issues, that even if that sometimes leads to them doing small petty crimes like stealing to support their habits, they shouldn't be in prison for the, that. Um, they should be receiving treatment, actual treatment for those kind of uh, situations. Um, we should be looking at probation um, when people are on probation. Like, why do we have people from the lower county having to go all around the state to get to to complete their treatment program with the probation system? Like, why are we tasking people and charging people um, to do drug rehab programs or or uh, DUI programs, and we know that they can't afford them? 
So we're setting them up to go back to prison for a violation because they can't afford the the fines and fees and programs that come along with their probation. Um, we shouldn't be having finding that children who are in schools where they're uh, where who, sorry we shouldn't be finding that kids in our schools are like going directly into um, the prison system. So if we have kids in schools, then we're finding that they are um, using drugs or they are missing school. Like there should be more programs in schools to um, change, change those behaviors. I think that instead of looking at a punishment first kind of thing, we need to be looking at treatment first. Um, and, you know, of course, the, what what led me to this work is gun violence. And one of the things that I think is most important is, one, getting the guns off the street, and two, fixing the problems that lead to violence, which is poverty. So if we can provide people with economic opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, we can decrease the likelihood that they'll be engaged in violence. Yeah, I have a person in my town, I'm not going to say who it is, but they're always pointing out to like cities like Chicago or whatever, like, why don't people there do anything about gun violence? They, they're always talking about um, criminal justice reform or anything, but you, these are things that actually you, you know that the answers to these will reduce the gun violence. It's not just about talking about like as they would say and this isn't me like virtue signaling or whatever that craziness is like it there are tangible things that people like you were doing on the ground in communities like wilmington mm-hmm. absolutely so i i really appreciate that you are investing in that it reminds me of uh, bethany hallam uh county commissioner in allegheny county who i talked with uh, she um has been very big on some of these issues and uh, i know i don't want to forget mentioning this uh talking about the impact of COVID in the prison system, that people who are stuck in prison for, they, they haven't been charged with a crime yet even, right? And yet they're in a system where they could be greatly exposed to a disease like the coronavirus with no protections and people dehumanize them saying, well, too bad for them without even understanding the, the truth of the situation. Yeah, um, Representative Minor Brown, who was not elected last year, I believe she was elected in twenty. 20- 16 or 2018 i think 2018 um she she is my colleague in the house um serving as the chair of corrections in the house we actually very early on last year or this year um introduced house bill 37 which would have um given people who were serving a prison sentence um during a pandemic up to a year worth of early release credits to try to greatly reduce the prison population in the state of delaware Um, we modeled it off of a bill that came from New Jersey, um, that passed in New Jersey, um, doing similar things. And so um, we introduced that bill in hopes that we could reduce the prison population there and here in Delaware. Unfortunately, we had a lot of battle um, and fight against that bill. So it's still in-house appropriations, still working to get it passed. But we definitely introduced it because we need to get people out of out of prison Um during this pandemic, which is still um, alarmingly at the, um, not at bay, you know, still out there. And I think because a lot of us have feel like it's under control, um, we're forgetting that there are still people in places like our prison systems that are, are being forgotten about. And right now, even um, we see that there's an outbreak at one of the prisons in our state right now. And it's, it's not, although our numbers have been low, um, over the last few months, um, it's still out there. They're still at risk. Um, 
and we need to be protecting them. But I think it really gets easy to forget about the people that are in our prisons because we deem them as unworthy mm-hmm. and honorable. So we forget about them and, and look the other way to what they're going through. Uh, I'm glad that you're not looking the, w- looking the other way on any of these people. And I appreciate that your colleague you mentioned also has a nursing background. So those health backgrounds, nothing against lawyers and real estate agents, but having people in health and social work and office is important. Um, Ray, thank you for encouraging people to run for office. Um, If people are interested in following you, uh, what's the best way that you would want them to follow you and learn more about your work? Yeah, I think the best way and where I'm the most active is on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, It's Marie, the number four Senate. Um, And I have that same handle on Twitter where I am trying to become more active. I am not a tweeter, but a lot of uh, my younger constituents and and supporters really wanted me to get on Twitter. So I'm working on getting my tweets up. Um, And it's the same handle on Twitter. Great. Well, I am excited for what you're doing there. I'm looking forward to seeing the energy you bring, not just in this term, but in the future uh, for the next few years in Delaware. And it's really exciting to see what you will accomplish. Um, If you are listening, uh, please follow Marie. She's got a lot of good things going on in Delaware, and maybe you should run for office too. Please like and share this and subscribe, and let me know if there's anyone else you want to recommend to talk on the podcast.